Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. From the time we're little kids, we learned that life isn't fair, and yet we constantly battle against this. And, and how often, if you are around little kids, if you're raising little kids, do you hear them say, well, that's not fair. And I have found myself saying the, the traditional dad line that I thought I would never say, but I always say to my kids, well, who told you? life was gonna be fair, you know? And, and there's this thing as like adults, we know it's not, but, but even as adults, we don't like it. And when something's not fair, we still go back to that kid mode of, well, somebody should change something. The late night show uh, host, uh, Jimmy Fallon, recently asked people uh, to, to develop their own laws of how would you make the world more fair uh, if you could come up with a law to, to equalize things. And, and some of the responses that people submitted I thought were really interesting and actually might make the world a bit more fair. Let, let you judge for yourselves. For example, how about this one? Uh, there should be a law that if you're still paying student loans, you should always get the student discount. Any, anybody still paying student loans? Anybody relate with that, right? I think that would make the world a little bit more fair. I can, I can see that. Or this one. There should be a law that you shouldn't tell someone they look tired unless they're literally asleep. Some of you, you know who you are. You're, you're repeat offenders of this one. Uh, a lot of people tell me that. They're like, you look tired. And I'm like, that's just my face. That's just that's what this looks like all the time, all right? There should be a law that if someone comes into work sick and you get sick because of it, you should be able to use one of their sick days. <laughs> There'd be a lot less people showing up to work, I think, uh, in general. But that, man, that would solve some problems. I like that one. Or some of you, uh, it's, it's morning time. Uh, some of you are like, hey, I'm still getting going. This one maybe is for you. There should be a law that makes it illegal to talk to someone prior to their first cup of coffee. <laughs> Gotta get an amen. Some of you, you know who you are, right? But have you ever noticed um, that when it comes to our sense of fairness, we only ever notice when things are unfair against us, not unfair in our favor, right? Like if you're driving in your car and, and you hit every green light, you don't notice that, you just think, hey, it's just a normal day. But if you hit every red light, you're thinking, what is going on? This is not fair, and, and you're gonna tell someone about it. And we, don't, we just don't expect things to be unfair in our favor, right? It's just not how things go. Uh, last weekend, my wife and I went to Arizona for the weekend. We rented a car, and uh, we get our number assigned to us of like, this is where your car is. And so I, I go, and we're walking through this garage, and we're looking up, trying to figure out where these numbers are. And I had rented the intermediate option, uh, which is one of the cheaper cars you can rent. And so I'm looking around for it, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden I hear Michelle say, I'm not looking where she's looking, she goes, did you rent a red Jeep Wrangler? Like, a little accusatory, you know, like, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, I rented an intermediate car. You're looking at the wrong number. And so I just keep looking, you know, and she's standing there. And then finally I'm like, no, that's, that's the number we're looking for. And I'm staring at this red Jeep Wrangler. And I'm like, that's weird. And so I go and I open the door and sure enough, our paperwork's in the car. And I'm like, what a fun upgrade. But I don't expect that. I don't anticipate that. In fact, I'm expecting I'm gonna get downgraded or something's gonna be wrong with the car. Like, that's how life works. We're just not really good at noticing 
unfairness in our favor, but I promise you, if something goes against us, we take note of that. Now, this even plays into how we follow Jesus. This is what we're gonna look at today. And so uh, I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church. We are so glad that you're here. To those in the room with me, to those who are watching or listening online, uh, however you got here through a podcast or YouTube, uh, we're so glad that you're a part of this. My name is Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here. And if you are new with us, uh, we are about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And we're going through a series right now through the Gospel of John. And so hopefully, if you're at our campus, uh, hopefully you got a journal today. I wanna encourage you to get that out. Go to week one, and, uh, and we, we do these journals about once a month, and we just give you these little tools to save them, write your notes, write down the name of someone you just met, and, uh, and just kind of use this to, to help you collect all these things that we're doing and use this as a tool uh, throughout the week as well. And so if you go to week one of your journal, you'll see us about to write the title down. Today's title is this. Greater and greater. And so if you write that down, that'll correlate to what you see online if you ever want to reference this message back. Uh, and you can figure out that's the one that we're talking about. In our Bibles today, we are in John chapter three. And so if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, that's awesome, get that out. Uh, probably have a bookmark in John if you've been with us. And if you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, I encourage you to get that out as well. We'd love for you to read along with us uh, as we dive into this. Now today in John 3, uh, we're gonna look at someone that we've already seen so far in this series. Uh, we're looking at a guy named John the Baptist. Now if you've been with us, you, you might remember I said that whenever you see the name John in the Gospel of John, it's not referring to the author, it's always referring to John the Baptist, okay? So just a little bit of clarity, a lot of people get confused on how many Johns are there. Uh, so there's a John that wrote the book and then there's a John the Baptist, that's who we're looking at today, not the person that wrote the book. We've already seen John the Baptist, but now we're finding him again. Uh, his ministry and Jesus' ministry are colliding. Uh, there's some overlap there. And so yet again, we meet him and we find a fascinating uh, exchange between uh, these two as, as John's disciples have to figure out what do we do with Jesus. Now, if you're with me in John chapter three, we're gonna begin reading in verse 22, and we'll look at this story from here. It says this, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and they went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there, which I think is a hilarious phrase for John to include. Uh, why was he baptizing so many people? There was plenty of water there. What else would you do with the water? You know, it's like, obviously, there's plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. Now, this was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, they're talking about Jesus, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, get this, is also baptizing people. <laughs> Can you even believe this? He is also baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. <laughs> Can you just imagine the outrage of the, John, did you, did, you, did you see that guy? Jesus, the guy that you put, he is baptizing people. John, you know what your name is? You're John the Baptist, that's your thing not Jesus the Baptist. How dare he do this? They're all worked up. They're all agitated. How dare this guy do this? Essentially what they're saying in adult form is that's not fair. John, this is your thing. This is our thing. Like we're the baptizers. How dare Jesus come in 
and think that he can start baptizing people. And so you have them working this through in real time. What do we do with this? Because notice how they define themselves. We are John's disciples. These guys have committed their life to to John. They are following John. They are pursuing John's way of doing things. And now you have this new guy named Jesus. And Jesus isn't following uh, the, the protocol the way that they think he should. Jesus is doing what John was known for doing. They gotta realize, give these guys a break, they had watched John baptize Jesus. So they're thinking, okay, so Jesus learned this from you, John, and now he's hijacking it. Now he's taking it over. And these are young guys. These are guys that have probably committed their whole life to following John, to John's way of ministry. This is gonna be their claim to fame. They were disciples of John. And now they're looking at Jesus going, well, what do we do about this guy? And, and, and what's up with him? And, and, and I think what they're wondering is, did we choose the wrong teacher? Like, do we, do we like, you know, kind of uh, hitch ourselves to the wrong person? Do we put all of our confidence in the wrong person to launch us forward into our career? Because I don't think they're necessarily against Jesus, but they definitely see Jesus's success is a threat to what they're doing and, and to who they have decided to follow. Now, you might be able to relate with this. Have you ever questioned a decision that you made? Have you ever put your loyalty behind something and then thought, maybe I chose wrong, maybe I chose poorly? Like for a lot of people, this happens when you go to college and you get to college and you thought it was gonna be one thing and you go, I don't like this place. I don't fit here, this is not right. And, and it's not a good fit for me. And then you go, what, what do I do? I paid so much money and, and you know, my parents are gonna be involved and like all these things, like what do I do when I, when I feel like that? Or maybe you graduated college and you're in your career and you go, I chose the wrong career. Like, I don't like this. I'm not good at this. This isn't life-giving for me, but I've already spent this much money and this much schooling and all of this, all these years to get me here. Or maybe, uh, in light of uh, the changing uh, political climate, you're like, you know what? I was raised in this political party. I think I chose the wrong one. I don't resonate with this anymore. And you start to think, well, what would happen if I were to change my opinion, if I were to change my mind? Really, it's what, whatever happens when any opinion you have you go, you know what, at one time, I believed this, but now I'm not so sure. And what makes it tricky is depending on what you have writing on it. See, this wasn't like they had just decided to, on a whim, follow John. No, they had committed their lives to following John and John's way of doing ministry. And now they gotta figure out, what do we do with this Jesus guy? It reminds me of something that the author Upton Sinclair once said, and I think this is incredibly profound. He said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it, right? When, when there is financial motivation for you to not change your mind on something, it's really hard to objectively look at something and go, is this what I want? Is this what's right? Is this what I should be doing? Because they're realizing they've got a lot writing on John and, and this Jesus thing is going to mess it up. And so they're looking at Jesus, and again, I don't think they're anti-Jesus here. They just see his success as a threat to what they're doing. And again, I think they had a niche. They had this like baptism ministry that was hopping, and it was cool, and like John was known for it. That's why we call him John the Baptist. And here comes Jesus, and he can do it all, and he baptizes. And they're like, what's our thing? What's our unique thing anymore if Jesus is also doing this? You ever found yourself looking at someone else's success and, and, and instead of being happy for them, you just kind of feel some things? 
But like maybe you're always the, the bridesmaid or you're always the groomsman, but you're not married. You're like so excited for my friends all the time. They're getting married, that's a, I'm pumped for them, you know? And you're just celebrating their big day all the time. Uh, or, or you just find yourself like you're getting passed up for that promotion and so you're like stoked for your other coworkers and glad for them, but man, that's kind of a bummer. Or how about, I think we all have that friend that's like so lucky and just good things happen to, right? Like you have that friend that's like telling you, you will not believe what I won today. And you're like, oh, tell me about it. I'm so pumped. You know, like why do all of these things happen to you, right? And, and, and we struggle with like, well, your success makes me feel like I lost something. And we even do this corporately. I was thinking about this. Uh, you ever watch the Olympics and you're watching an event you probably don't even care about or know much about with athletes you've never heard of before this event, but if someone beats an American athlete, uh, you kind of have this sense of like, oh, we lost. Like, you don't even care about this event, but there's some sense of we're in this together and we just lost, and, and, and you can't really be excited for the other person. You're like, oh, we, we lost something, right? What's going on here? See, these are not actually like random things that we're dealing with. This is all about identity and how we wrap our identity into uh, so many different things. And, and John's disciples are wrestling with identity because here's, don't miss this, Jesus is messing with their identity. He's messing with who they have defined themselves to be, who they thought they were gonna be, and now they're having to reevaluate it. Now, if you're writing things down, I wanna give you something to write down that I would suggest we can all learn from, from this moment with them, okay? Here's what we can learn. Any identity that you choose outside of Jesus will eventually diminish. Any identity. Now you're going, what are you talking about? Any identity that you choose outside of Jesus will eventually diminish. And, and you and I all, we have a, a variety of other identities that we have, and they're not necessarily bad or good, but you have to understand if any of them start to rival uh, who you are in Jesus and how you follow Jesus, you're going to have a hard time at some point. Because at some point, Jesus is going to lay claim to that and, and he's going to reprioritize things for you. And you'll figure, you're gonna figure out, oh, I'm not as much that as I am uh, who, who, who I am in Jesus. And that's what John's disciples are, are dealing with. Now you might be going, what identity are we talking about? You know, I, I don't even know. If I were to ask you, hey, tell me a little bit about you, what would you say? What would be your go-to thing? Now, most of us don't say, well, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm all about Jesus. I love him. I follow him every day. You know, like that's not where we go. We say a whole bunch of other things. We begin to describe ourselves and each of those are little identity markers. This is who I am. This is how I relate to the world around me. And again, they're not bad or good. They're just our ways that we think of ourselves. Now, for many of us, we would say, uh, in a holistic sense, we're Americans, right? So that's a sense of identity. That's who we are. We are Americans, but even that, you can drill down deeper and go, well, what kind of Americans are me? Well, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. That's my version of being an American and I'm, I'm narrowing down that identity even further. Uh, you can do it relationally. I'm a, a husband, I'm a wife, right? That's a relational identity that I have. I'm a mother, I'm a father. These are all relational ways that we think of our identity. Now we can even have identity connected to things that we do. For example, for many of us, I think this is especially true for men, uh, it's oftentimes we find our sense of identity in our job. 
okay? So tie your career to who you are and you get a sense of identity. And this is one for me, I, I continue to challenge myself with because I think it's really easy for me to have a sense of inflated identity because I get the chance to speak into a bunch of people's lives because of my job. But if I were not to have that job, what would change there? And you gotta go, okay, my identity is wrapped up in that somehow and, and you gotta kind of be aware of how we find identity in that way. Your identity is uh, connected to your hobbies, to the things that you do, your, these subcultures that we're a part of, this shapes our identity. It's even shaped by your personality. Oh, you're the girl that always does this. You're the guy that's known for that, right? These are ways that we understand our identity. There's a big game happening today, if you didn't know about it, and some of you have an identity decided by who wins or who loses, right? Because we have identity wrapped up into so many things. Now again, None of those are necessarily good or bad, but here's what you have to understand. If you let any of those individual identities rival what Jesus is trying to do in your life, eventually that will diminish. And you're gonna realize that, that any other identity that begins to shape who you are or how you make decisions apart from Jesus will eventually diminish. That may take a while, but at some point, Jesus isn't going to share with, with these other identities. And Jesus is going to help you prioritize this. And, and these disciples right now are feeling this. Hey, Jesus is messing this up. We had it all figured out. We knew who we were. We knew what we were about. And now this Jesus guy comes in and, and it doesn't feel the same. So they come to John. John, fix this for us. It's not fair. Now, I don't know what they were envisioning John was gonna do. Uh, like, was John gonna go, all right, I'm gonna cross this river and go, I'm gonna go tell Jesus what's up. Hey, Jesus, get your own river. Like, this is mine. You know, like, what are they envisioning John's gonna do here? I'm not sure what they're going over to him, but watch what John says when his disciples, these are his guys, they have committed their lives to John. They tell him this isn't fair. Watch what John says in response, verse 27. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. Then he recaps, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. He's like, were you listening? I told you I'm not the Messiah over and over, but you keep thinking I am. And now you've met the Messiah. I'm pointing you to him. Verse 29, it is the bridegroom, John says, who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with them and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. That's John's response. I am filled with joy watching what is happening with Jesus right now. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. For he is sent by God, he speaks God's word, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Now, at this point, I think his disciples are like, geez, John, we're just asking a question. <laughs> wow, like just, 
just wondering, you know, if we could do something about this. Like John gets in this sermon about eternal life and, and all this, and they're like, whoa, like slow down, John. What, what are we talking about here? Now, uh, I, I think the phrase, the last phrase we read, God's angry judgment, I think it's a poor translation. It's a Greek word that's the word for wrath. Okay, so the idea of wrath of God is that word. It's the only time John in his gospel uses this word, okay? So it's not a word he throws around often. He uses it here. And and again, in the context, I think here's the easiest way to understand the wrath of God. It is when a good God who controls all of life and all of love and all of good things removes himself from your life and says, do what you wanna do. Have it your way. You you are all, all alone. You call the shots. And some of us are like, yes, that's what I want. But when a good God removes himself from your life due to what you want, you experience the wrath of God. You experience the emptiness when that is uh, void in your life. And, and, and so this is what he's saying. And he's contrasting this with the fullness of life you get if you go to Jesus, okay? So if you go to Jesus, you have life. If you reject Jesus, you are absent of life. There's no life there. Why? Notice John's theological argument that he makes that many of us miss this. We just read it. This is incredible. Verse 34. He says, Jesus is sent by God. He speaks God's words for God gives him the spirit without limit. Interesting idea. How much of the Holy Spirit do you have if you're a Christian? Uh, Like 30%. 50%, 70, like what, I don't know what percentage you would say. Uh, as John looks at Jesus, he goes, he's got the spirit without limit. Unlimited, exponential, uh, that's how much Holy Spirit he, he's got. So when you go to Jesus, you are getting a 100% full Holy Spirit experience because that's what Jesus has. He's got the full dose of everything. And John is connecting his disciples whom he raised up and he developed and he recruited. He is connecting them to a greater source of life in the person of Jesus. Now, if we were to think about John, you could say he's like the ideal best man at a wedding. He's the hype guy. He knows how to get everybody pumped for what's happening. He's going to redirect everybody uh, to someone else. And he gives a killer speech when it is time to toast, right? He's that guy you're like, oh, he brought the house down. But it's not about him. And John gives such an an insightful way of understanding, if you and I wanna follow Jesus today, what should that look like? How do we uh, assume that posture of following Jesus? This is his argument, verse 30. He, Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Now, let's have a moment of honesty. If you're following Jesus today, are you on board with this? Because the reality is we can say, I believe in God because I think God exists and he's true and he's real and like, that's great. But are you on board to follow Jesus like this? Jesus, you must become greater and greater. And as I pursue you, I just wanna become less and less. I want so much of my life to be redirected, to be refocused on you. You might be going, yeah, that's cool for John to say, but John's disciples are like, what about us? Great, John, you wanna be less and less? That's great for you. What about us? That's not fair, John, because we now are less and less because of the decision that you have made, that that you are redirecting all of our energies, all of our attention, all of the momentum that we had. You are redirecting it to Jesus. 
See, most of us, if we're honest, we don't wanna be the groomsman, the bridesmaid. We wanna be the center of attention. Even less do we wanna follow the person who isn't the center of attention. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit my whole life to that groomsman over there because I think that guy's gotta figure it out. That, that bridesmaid, she's gonna be the one. No, we're going for the center of attention. We want to feel that sense of prominence vicariously through whoever we pick. See, I'm convinced that John uh, the Baptist could never write a book on leadership. It would never sell, right? Like, here's how you get all your followers to leave you and go to Jesus. Like, okay, John, that's like not a good recipe. Like, it's not working. Like, it would never happen. And yet, we have to think, even, even as we decide, what kind of a church are we gonna be? You begin to ask these kind of questions. What, what's most important? What are we measuring? What, what do we consider a win? What do we consider the goal of what we're doing? It gets a little bit tricky, even when we collectively are following Jesus. Let me share the way uh, one uh, author and pastor put it. This is, uh, her name's Nona Jones. It says, Jesus called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. <laughs> now, let me invite you to think on behalf of the church. We're all the church. So imagine, what kind of a church are we gonna be? How do we know if we're a good church? You know the way most of us define it? How's the aquarium look? How many fish are in it? Is it clean? Is it comfortable? Is the temperature right? Are all the fish happy, right? This is how we tend to think about the health of any ministry, is what's the aquarium look like? What's it feel like? How do I feel as a fish inside the aquarium? Am I happy? But notice, and I... I totally agree. I think she's onto something. That's not what we're called to do if we're following Jesus. We're bringing people to Jesus. We're not building up an aquarium. Now again, I have to make lots of decisions, you know, because of my role on behalf of our church. And we sit down as leadership and go, okay, how do we wrestle through? What, do we do this or do that? It is so easy to go, how do we build a really big aquarium? How do we keep the fish happy? How do we, it is so easy to go there. And yet I'm constantly reminded by Jesus, that's not what I'm asking you to do. You introduce people to me. That's what you're focused on. You introduce people to me. And if your aquarium gets bigger, that's awesome. But it's not your goal and do not measure the success based on the aquarium. Like imagine if you were walking around and, and, and you were checking out, hey, I gotta figure out whose ministry I wanna follow. Do I, I've heard good things about John Baptist Church. Let's go check that out. And they're like, oh, everybody's leaving. There must be a conspiracy. There must be something wrong. I've heard bad things about John. No, John's doing exactly what John's supposed to do. And yet he's losing people to Jesus. You might think, well, why? But this is how it works. If you're not building an aquarium, you don't care. You're just getting people to Jesus and however they go to Jesus, however they experience Jesus, that is the point. And you and I, we each have an aquarium of sorts. We have something that we are in charge of, we're responsible for, and we want to to keep growing it. And if you follow Jesus, your aquarium will always suffer. So this thing that we have in life that we want to keep growing, we want to keep, you know, we got ambitions and we got goals and we got dreams and, and I'm responsible for things and I want it to grow and grow and grow. And this is not a new idea. This has been around for generations. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci once said this, maybe you've heard this idea. Poor is the people who does not surpass his master, right? Like, and he's saying this, like, look, I superseded the person that trained me. Da, da Vinci was the master of the person that had trained him. And he's saying, look, that's how it should work. You should rise above those who come before you. And this is a very popular idea, even, even of those of us who call ourselves Christians. Yeah, we're going to do this too. And so we benchmark ourselves against other people. 
I think the first benchmark that you and I use are our parents. How much did they accomplish? What did they do? By what age? And, and that becomes our general filter of, I've got to surpass that benchmark. And maybe you have, and you're like, well done. Or maybe you're still aiming for it. Like, I've got to get over you know, what I saw them do. But then we look around us. We benchmark ourselves by our coworkers. What are, what are they doing? How much have they got? What, how, how are they doing? Uh, we benchmark ourselves by our neighbors. Oh, do you see what they're driving? Do you see what their house looks like? We, we benchmark ourselves constantly by those around us. And rarely do we ever stop to think, hey, is this drive that I've got to, to surpass others, is it healthy? Is it, is it like helping me be like Jesus? Is it making me more into the person that Jesus wants me to be? See, rarely do we say, hey, maybe I shouldn't surpass people. Maybe I, I shouldn't aim at that. No, you go, no, you should. You know, that, that's a, a good teacher will allow you to, to go past them. And, and we think about that. But here's the deal. If you leave this, uh, this drive unchecked, it goes bad. If you just keep going and keep going, hey, I have no limits and I'm just going to keep this ambition, you know, pedal the metal as far as I can, it goes bad. And sometimes it goes horrifically, awfully bad. And it can even look like this. Where my Star Wars nerds at? Come on. That's right, that's right. I am one. Yes, it's true. I could do a whole sermon series on Star Wars theology. It'd be so great. All right. For those of you who are like, ugh, one of those space movies, uh, here's the deal. That storyline right there like fills up at least six movies of the two of them and that whole relationship, right? It's a really big deal. And notice though, uh, what you have in Darth Vader is this student who is so set on this ambition of I will be the master. And ultimately in that example, you're like, yeah, that wasn't good. That wasn't healthy. And I think it produces the same thing in you and I. And yet here's the problem. In our culture, so few people will ever challenge it. So few people go, yeah, I don't think that's healthy. We go, yeah, that's normal. Okay, let me give you a new norm one. If you're writing things down, I encourage you, write this one down and you're probably gonna be angry you wrote it down after you wrote it down and that's okay because uh, you're not gonna like this but I love you and I hope you love me too. And so here we go, you ready for this? You ready? Check this out. If you follow Jesus, you will never surpass your master. If you wanna follow Jesus, you, you basically decide I'm giving up on that. Because you know you will never surpass your master. Even if you wanted to, you're not. But if you follow Jesus, what you should realize is that's not your goal anymore. Now, some of you, if you're honest, you're going, I don't know if I want to follow Jesus then. And that's a decision you got to make. Because if you want to follow someone else, you, can, you might be able to surpass them. You might be able to keep climbing the ranks, keep rising, keep getting more influential, more and more and more. But if you want to follow Jesus, you enter into a different journey. You basically decide, uh, I'm going to be uh, the best man. I'm going to be the maid of honor. I'm going to redirect this story. I'm going to redirect the attention on someone else. And here's the deal. You might think, why would I want to do that? That doesn't sound fun. Here's why. Because this is the only identity that will last. This is the only identity that you can invest in that will only increase every day of your life on into eternity. Every other identity you choose is on a diminishing scale, I promise you. And it may not seem like for a while, but it is on a diminishing scale. This one, it just keeps going. And so if you choose to put a lot of your energy, a lot of your effort, a lot of your uh, passion into, I'm going to follow Jesus and make him greater, 
that, what that will do to you, that identity you will get from that will only grow and develop. Jesus must be greater and greater. We must be less and less. Now here's the reality. This is, uh, this is one thing to preach this message and, and go, yeah, okay, I, I intellectually uh, agree with this. Uh, it's another thing to live this out, to go, how do I do this in this moment? And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close with a song uh, that has been an incredibly impacting song to me. Uh, my last uh, study leave, I, I listened to the song like on repeat because here's the deal. I, I, I have a lot of ambition in me. I have, I have a lot of drive. And I know that if left unchecked, that does not produce healthy things in me. And so I have to come to Jesus and I have to surrender that. I have to moment by moment, not like a one-time decision. I have to like daily say, I surrender this ultimately to you. And so I found a song called Everything and Nothing Less uh, this, this year. And I've played the song so many times because there's just a line in the song that says, I surrender, I surrender all. And the whole song is, is this beautiful framework of how we can assume this posture before Jesus. So here's the deal. Uh, we're gonna close our service out today with this song. Here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. Please don't leave, okay? I know some of you, it's your thing. As soon as I say amen, you get up, you leave. Uh, your children will still be there. Your car will still be in the parking lot. Everything's gonna be fine, okay? It's only gonna be a few more minutes. I'm gonna invite you to practice together a moment. And here's what I wanna ask you. What do you need to surrender right now to Jesus? What is it right now you're like, yep, that thing is, is getting a little difficult for me. Maybe for you, it's something from your past that you, you can't let go of, you can't move on. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's your sense of security. Maybe it's the, the, the fact that you have to have your way on things. I don't know what it is for you, but could you just surrender that in this moment and go, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna give this to you. What is it that is displacing the center of your life being about Jesus? Whatever that is, you have to moment by moment surrender that. It is not a one-time decision. It is an everyday decision. And so we're gonna close by singing a song. And here's, here's my encouragement. Sing it till you can live it. Just keep singing it over and over. And this is why I had the song on repeat because I need help living this out. It's not easy to do. I have to moment by moment decide I wanna surrender all. But only Jesus is worth the attention being greater and greater and greater and greater. And I would love to invest more of myself into my identity as the person who redirects people to Jesus. That is, people see me. They don't see all these other identities. They see someone who is obsessed with the person of Jesus. How do we make that our identity? It happens in a moment of surrender. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be able to surrender all, and yet we know it's so much easier to say it than it is to live it. So much easier to express these words than it is to, to actually do the hard work of, of laying down our drive and our ambition and our wants and our identities as they are wrapped up into all these other things and we just wanna follow you. I wanna follow you well. I wanna be faithful to whatever you're asking of us. And so as we close together with these words, singing this song together, may this begin to reorient our passions reorient the way that we feel towards you, that we would uh, live this, this out, that we would surrender moment by moment because we know that you are worth it. And we can spend so much of our time pursuing so many other things that will eventually diminish in light of you. We can come and we can be so consumed by you, so enamored by you and your goodness that we direct our lives to you. And so God, as a church, may we 
practice surrendering in this moment, surrendering anything that displaces you and giving it up to allow you to be greater and greater. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.